Welcome back to episode three of Canon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee, and this week we chat with author C.R. Wiley, who's got a brand new book out with us last week um, titled The Household and the War for the Cosmos. This week we chatted Chris's online presence and whether or not he's redeeming the selfie. He also told us about his tumultuous talk at the University of Idaho during his, uh, his time here in Moscow. That talk was titled Toxic Matriarchy, and it got the response uh, about what you would think. And we finished up with why specialization is for the insects. Thanks so much for spending time with us and tuning in. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. C.R. Wiley, welcome to Cannon Calls. Yeah, well, great. Great to be with you, Jake. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's been a couple weeks, a month, a couple months. Right. Since you were out in Idaho and you had a uh, well, uh, a tumultuous trip. Yeah, it was, it was eventful. It was fun. <laughs> well, so a couple things I want to talk to you about was uh, we got your book coming out. Right. The Household and the War for the Cosmos. Yeah, looking forward to that. So first off, would you mind, <laughs> do you mind telling, I know me and you have talked about it, but do you mind telling us about a, uh, you had a, a lecture at the University of Idaho. Right. How did that end up going? It was, well, that was an eventful thing. You know, that was one of the things I was thinking about when I said eventful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it, it was, uh, I think, a, uh, generally a positive experience uh, for me. and. Uh, I think it was positive uh, in a larger sense. Uh, there were a lot of people who uh, have a different opinion, but uh, they expressed that opinion that night, and and so they had their say. But I, I think uh, you know the event overall, because it was a mixed crowd, and there were people there who were supportive, and then there were people who were there who were you know not interested in hearing what I had to say and wanted to. To let me know that, but th- there was a third group that I, that was uh, larger than I had expected. People who were just curious, and a number of them came to me afterward and uh, had a chance to talk to them. and And seems like uh, there were some good things that they got out of the talk, so I was glad for that. Can you? Uh, so your your talk title was uh, "Smash the Matriarchy," or what was it? <laughs> Actually, it was. Toxic matriarchy. Toxic matriarchy. Okay. Right. So right. It, was, it was almost that uh, bombastic, but uh, actually right. a bit tempered than I than I than I had remembered. Um, right. Do you mind saying a few things about it, uh, just in terms of the content? Of what, what 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 did you talk about that night? Yeah. Well, as you may recall, I didn't actually pick the title that was given <laughs> to me, but no no one told me what to say. I was so I was like, okay, yeah, I, I can work with this. I I think I, I can actually do some really fun stuff with this and maybe even some helpful stuff. And so, you know, knowing the title, uh, I anticipated a strong pushback and that's what happened. But I also thought that it expressed something that we need to hear. And and that is that uh, we currently are in a society that is all carrots and no sticks in one sense. And it's a, it's a, it's a society in which we're all very precious uh, and very little is expected of us. And uh, whenever anyone, you know, has t- the temerity to actually expect something of somebody else, 
they're labeled as uh, you know hard-hearted or or cruel, uh, or they could even be called uh, you know privileged or you know you, you, you get where I'm saying, 100%. going with this. Yeah, and there have been a lot of people who've written you know uh, you know snowflakes and stuff like that, and you know there's part of me that says well maybe maybe that's not as maybe that's not the case, but there's another part of me that says yeah. I, I do think this is kind of the way things have trended, and and it, and it's uh, we live in a culture that uh, recoils from objective standards because objective standards necessarily uh, form hierarchies. Because whenever you have an objective standard, somebody's going to perform better than another person, so a hierarchy uh, inevitably forms. We don't like that because we want everybody to get trophies, you know, trophies for everybody. So that was basically the, my my approach. We live in a world that uh, is too nurturing in one sense, uh, and it doesn't require enough of us in another sense. And and you know we see a lot of that on college campuses. So the fact that I was speaking to a bunch of college students, I think, was a perfect uh, place to do that talk. Do you think uh, just by the response alone, uh, except for uh, the the group that you mentioned? Do you think uh, the response sort of proved the proof was there in the pudding, uh, just in their response to your message? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 they they marvelously uh, walked right into my trap. So, <laughs> you know, so what I basically did at the opening is I said, this is what you're going to do, and this is why you're doing it. And then they did everything I said they would do and proved my point the whole rest of the night. It was great. Right. Yeah, I'll tell you, I was so I was running the wide camera in the back, and the one thing I was surprised about is that they stayed the entire time. Yeah, I think uh, you know, I remember I, I listened to Doug Doug's take on it. He did a podcast on it, right? If you recall, and I think he had a really good sense of what was going on. He, uh, uh, he his take was that I was a father to them, that I and that, and that's actually how I kind of felt. Because as I looked around the room, I said, "All oh, you guys, you know, you could be my kids. You know, I'm that much older than you. Right. And in fact, I've got kids that are older than you. And so as I was looking at them, I, you know, I thought, you know, I kind of feel bad for you. <laughs> I didn't. Right. I mean, I, there, I, there was a sense in which I was kind of appalled by the behavior. On the other hand, it wasn't. It wasn't as bad as I've seen people behave in, in other places. Sure. So, sure. You know, they, they they weren't terrible people or kids or anything, but you know they they uh, I think they've got they had a kind of script that they wanted to follow, and then when I didn't play into their script, they were a little uh, I think disoriented, right? And and they never really got their balance the rest of the night. Yeah, you you seem to take the uh, you seem to take the air out a few times, um, <laughs> and obviously one of the times that it, the most striking memory that I have is you reading. Um, <laughs> Is it who is your mother? Yeah, yeah. Are you my mother? Are you by, my mother? Yeah, by P. D. Eastman, which is which is perfect for that that talk. Right, and then and then the rest of the time, it almost seemed like uh, at that point they were invested, and then just waiting for you to say the thing that they could then all right. yell and throw tomatoes and then leave. <laughs> right. um, and I will say, you know, th there were people outside that were sure that uh, you know they were going to do a song and dance and then all march out. You know, right. and there are people that were outside in the hall that never got to hear anything because they actually <laughs> stayed the whole time. Well, that's um, good. No, it that's was great. Good. It was great. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad it worked out that way. I, 
I, I, uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had done that, but I think, I, I wonder if they were hoping for another story, you know, they were, you I know, think, they, yeah, oh, I think there's no <laughs> doubt about that. And you, you told me too, uh, while you were here, they, uh, it, it sounded that way. The Leafs were trying to get the story. Uh, the newspaper was there and they had interviewed both pastor Wilson and you. Um, right. and they were kind of fishing for something else that wasn't actually there. Yeah, well, there's that story, but I was thinking maybe they wanted the cat in the hat or something. Oh. Like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were just I, like I Eastman, you know, we weren't expecting <laughs> Eastman, you know. <laughs> right. No, that's awesome. So, okay, so, uh, and then, man, I, I'll tell you, we have a, a mutual friend in uh, Peter Escalante. Yeah, yeah. And he will, you know, notoriously make sure that we know that he was our connection with you originally. We published your lit, uh, you have a trilogy um, that's in the works. Right, right. So anyway, I connected you with with you about Man of the House, and then I was was very interested in maybe seeing you do uh, something further with us. You had suggested that you had something maybe in the works and something that was, could be seen as a sequel to Man of the House, and that's where your new book, War for the Cosmos, came from. Right, yeah, I, uh, I was really happy that you guys were willing to look at that and uh, consider it, and I'm glad that you decided to publish it. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, looking at your Facebook, there's, there's two things that I think I could summarize what, what's going to be great from C.R. Wiley's Facebook. <laughs> Number one is going to be the redemption. I think possibly we could say the full-blown redemption of the selfie. <laughs> of the selfie of the selfie i think so <laughs> has anybody ever talked uh, to you about this no no i have not, not heard that uh, i so think I'm, uh, curious, I'm curious to hear how i've done that <laughs> <laughs> you know i just uh i think especially in our camps you know not not many people have time for the selfie unless you know you've got kids in there <laughs> you know maybe maybe your wife but uh, I think C.R. Wiley has really given it to the cool table by just <laughs> redeeming the selfie, whether it's with cabinets or, or something else. And uh, it's great to see. Well, I'm glad to know it. I, uh, I hadn't thought about it that way. I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I guess I've, I've just thought, well, there might be one or two people in the world who care about this. And <laughs> then 100%. I take a picture of something. Hundred percent. So, tell me about as far as your online life. Have you always been? I mean, I think I probably I started keeping up with you maybe about a year or two years ago. So, as far you're a you're a full time pastor, right? You write books. I know that you travel and do lectures, all kinds of topics. So, right. how has social media played in for you? You seem to uh, you seem to intentionally and strategically utilize it. So, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I do think about it. Um, I, I've, my use of Facebook has developed over time, um, and, and I do use it in a, in a particular way. So the, the Facebook page that I think you're thinking about, I actually have two. One is sort of like my benign page where only nice things happen. Okay, okay. And that's for, like, people in the past, you know, people that – uh, you know, I want to be able to share family photos with and things like that. Okay. And then, and then there's another Facebook page, which is, which is much larger that has a lot of people who are in publishing or, or activists or, uh, are writers, uh, and that kind of thing. And, and, and with that 
uh, page, I generally uh, think about, I just basically post whatever on my mind, uh, maybe once or twice a day. Okay. And, and I guess my, uh, my take on things is uh, unusual enough that it's grown. You know, I, I get a number of friend requests every day. I'm at a point where I don't, I don't seek them out. And I'm, no, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting close to 3,000 uh, people on my Facebook page. And, uh, and it's largely because uh, of people connecting with me. Then uh, what would happen, it, it, it has actually uh, been a, the, a key player or key thing in helping me connect with particularly uh, publishers. So I remember a couple of experiences, and I don't know if you're interested in hearing about them. But yeah, sure. But uh, the first is uh, years ago, uh, I, I connected online with Winston Elliott. Winston is the uh, a founder of the Imaginative Conservative, which is okay. that uh, Facebook page is dedicated to sort of Russell Kirk and themes that he was known for. And uh, Winston said, hey, I like the things that you say, you know, you're posting. Would you be interested in writing for us? I said, wow, that's out of the blue. Sure. I, and so that led to connecting with those guys. And I haven't done a lot recently, the last couple of years for them. Um, but the reason isn't because I don't like them. I think they're great. It's, it's because a bunch of other things have happened that have kind of taken over my life. And uh, so there was that. And then I had an even funkier experience. Um, and it has to do with the origins of man in a house. So okay. what happened with, with this uh, event, I had uh, the same experience. I was just posting random stuff, things I was thinking about. And some guy sent me a instant message and he said, Hey, I like what you're writing. Uh, would you be interested in writing a book on this theme? I was like, wow. Uh, sure. Uh, who are you? Are you an agent or something? He said, no, I'm John Zmirak. I'm the senior editor for Crossroads Publishing. Okay. Which, you know, they published the Pope right. and the Dalai Lama. <laughs> right. I was like, wow. Was so, there, at that point, what, what in particular had, had stuck out to, to John? Well, John, if you know him, he's a real red meat conservative guy, uh, and he's a Yaley. So whenever you get like an Ivy League red meat conservative, you've got a, a, a guy who's just looking for allies all the time. Right. So, you know, he's a he's like best friends with uh, with Eric Metaxas. And, okay. you know, so that's kind of the world he, he hobnobs in. And so he, he took a liking to me, and uh, we hit it off. I remember one time... He said, hey, uh, next time you're in Manhattan, let's get together and have dinner. And so we did. We were on First Street, and he took me to this little French restaurant. He grew up in, Man he grew up, uh, in I think, Queens. In fact, he told me the first Protestant he ever met was at Yale. And he lived in this, like, really ethnic, uh, Catholic, Eastern European kind of neighborhood in, in Queens. And uh, anyway, so he said, let's get some. I like French food. I said, hey, I'll eat anything. I'm not a big French food kind of guy, but I'll try it out. So anyway, it was like it's like one of these wine and cheese places. And like after two hours of talking with Mirac uh, and having spent 150 bucks on wine and wine and cheese, I was still hungry. You know, <laughs> it was those kind of things, you know. Yeah. But uh, with Mirac uh, and that whole thing, he connected me with with Crossroad. Crossroad is actually the division of Herder and Herder of Germany, which is like the oldest privately held publishing house in the world. It's like seven generations in the same family. So Gwendolyn Herder and I uh, connected. I met her, and and she's a very different sort of person. So Zmirak's Catholic, conservative. She's kind of a liberal Catholic. 
Anyway, she had a falling out with Zmirak, and everybody who was sort of in Zmirak's circle was kind of blacklisted at Crossroads. So that's why it didn't end up being published there, even though I had a contract. I could have forced, I could have forced them to publish it. Okay. But then they would have been very reluctant. Sure. You know, it would have been no fun. It's not the best uh, publishing uh, relationship. <laughs> right, right. But it would have been kind of fun to be right, listed right next to the Pope. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, why not? Um, yeah, right, right. He's, I hear he's got quite a following. That's <laughs> right. Right, um, So tell, tell us a little bit about Man of the House, and that'll kind of lead into your new book. But uh, orient us to beyond uh, John's prodding. What, uh, what even got you thinking about the themes of Man in the House enough that you thought this is, this is going to be worth a book? Well, there were, there were a few things. Um, I think one was, was intellectual in character. I mean, I, I had read people like Alan Carlson and Christopher Lash and Robert Nesbitt and people uh, uh, like that who, who directed my attention to the functions of the household in the pre-modern world and how that had been those functions had been lost. So I was I was intrigued by that, and then I had come up against uh, sort of a uh, uh, the sort of the discomfort and the awkwardness that many evangelicals, particularly uh, egalitarians, feel for the household codes in the New Testament, and you almost never hear uh, those uh, you know, preached about or even read. You know the passages read in. From the pulpit in those churches, and if if they even even come up, it's just they're they're quickly just dismissed as a cultural concession that Paul made to the times or whatever. Or heavily qualified, you know. Right, right. And and there there's no genuine interest in those circles uh, with regard to exploring you know what they mean theologically uh, or practically and how those. Those codes actually uh, reflected uh, kind of the you know daily life at a very uh, commonsensical level for the people who lived it in at that time. And so one of the things that occurred to me was uh, as I grew up in my understanding of the growth of the welfare state, in particular, uh, I came to see that many of the vital functions of the household had been uh, had been outsourced to the welfare state or to major corporations, uh, that kind of thing. And I realized that the functions still remained. In other words, let let's, let let me give you an example. You know, there's a you know the head coverings that Paul refers to in Corinthians, women with wearing head coverings and so forth. Uh, those were uh, were a, a, a way to indicate that a woman was under the care or the shelter of a household, and that she was uh, basically uh, covered and protected. Now we still have that. But it's just been outsourced. So what we have now is instead of a, a husband and a father providing for his uh, vulnerable female relations, right. uh, we have the state that performs those functions. Okay. What this does is this creates the illusion of autonomy, the illusion that uh, that uh, a person doesn't need this sort of thing. Uh, what's what's actually happened is not. That the function is is no longer being performed; it's just being performed by somebody else. So you're saying, and, in terms of like uh, economic marketplace, like you know, she could now go get a job, uh, have her have her own income. So the function is still there, as in she needs taken care of, and we in the market now have a, a spot for that. 
Yeah, she's she's uh, economically provided for, but I'm thinking even in terms of uh, physical care and protection. Okay. So you know, it's like she goes to college, and you know, there are all the, you know, the programs that are in place at college to make sure that people who could harm her are are sensitized, and you know, and, and there are you know various uh, you know techniques that are employed to provide surveillance and and to project uh, authority that that allow this woman to to go about you know, her daily routines without fear. And those are good. I'm not saying, yeah. I, 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 all I'm saying is, is that we still have everything. The function remains. The function remains. It's just being performed by somebody else. So the, the question I have is, you know, relates to, uh, is this the best of all possible worlds that we've created or have we lost some pretty important things in the process? One of the things that that the way we do things today has done is it's created, as I noted, the illusion of autonomy. So we have these forces that uh, and these authorities who exist in sort of the periphery and in the, and sort of like uh, are like wallpaper, and only emerge like something out of like the Matrix <laughs> when called for. Right. But they're always there. Now you used to have that, but they were called your brothers or your <laughs> father and your uncles and stuff like that. You know. Yep. Uh, so it's, we're just, we're playing games and, uh, we're not actually, uh, we don't actually live in a world that doesn't need what the old world performed. It's just, we do it in a way that doesn't, uh, require us to say thank you. Right. So at its worst, having this reductio go all the way, what is the family way down at the end there? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's reduced to sort of a voluntary association of people who have warm feelings for each other. Right. <laughs> that's pretty much right. it. And and so, the, you know, everything, uh, and it just is amazing to me how, how this, how it just, it just doesn't stop. And now we're at a place where for many people, they just don't think they even need to form households or families because uh, they can rely on the welfare state or the 401k or, or, you know, what have you. And so we have these single person households quote. Uh, but, you know, I think that we're leaving, leading a, uh, impoverished lives. I think uh, there's loneliness. I think there's anime. I think there's a sense of, uh, of meaninglessness uh, that people deal with that people in the past didn't deal with. But we don't know how to account for those things, so they don't they don't appear in our on our tally sheets when we think about we we, we are, we're only prepared to talk about our relationship to the past in terms of isn't it it isn't it great that we don't need that anymore? We have this now. Right. We don't think about what we've lost. Right. And your book seems so in, in in light of that, your book seems way more about uh, calling attention to a ton of fish and letting them know that they live in water. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And, and you know, what's funny about it is uh, uh, in a funny in a good way is that wherever I go, no matter to whom I speak, it's about after about like two minutes. I'm not exaggerating. After about two minutes, the light goes on in everybody's eyes and they all get it. Right. Doesn't matter what country they're from. Doesn't matter what economic background they're from. Everybody understands because this is the way our ancestors lived forever until just yesterday. And it's almost like we have the reminders all around us. And it just takes somebody to say, oh, that's what that was for. And everybody's like, aha. And then it's just like it just all comes. Right. You were talking to me here. That's even seeped into especially up. Uh, you mentioned the circles that you're privy to in the Northeast. Um, New York City, Boston, that that's even seeped into how Christians are speaking 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a uh, my friend Aaron Wren, and, and I know you know Aaron, uh, he refers yeah. to post, post-familial Christianity. And that's yeah, the this sort of this uh, a way of thinking about Christianity in which it's a, as, as though the eschaton has arrived and, and there's no marriage and we're all resurrected, I guess, or something. But uh, and these people can't they can't uh, they can't be bothered. They can't make room in their busy lives and in their upward mobility and, you know, their ladder climbing for X, Y, Z Corp or whatever uh, for children or a spouse or, or what have you. And and now they've they've they're actually beginning to, uh, you know, to sort of approach scripture and in a way that is intended to kind of validate this whole this whole thing. So, um, you know, and I think there's this uh, this push for uh, um, kind of a celibate life, which allows you. It's, it's basically this is you know this is Roman Catholic medieval priesthood stuff. Yeah. Uh, and now because we're the priesthood of all believers, instead of sort of like saying to Catholic priests you need to. To, you know, to renounce your celibacy and get married, we're saying to people who are Protestants, you need to renounce your aspirations or your, or the traditions uh, that encourage you to get married, so you can behave like a medieval Catholic priest <laughs> and right. and and serve, uh, you know, uh, Monsanto or Neiman Marcus or you know whatever, uh, as though it were the kingdom of God, you know, and give it your all. Right. Right. And not only, you know, you couldn't fit a, uh, a family in your broken loft. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, and then there are those great restaurants down there where you spend $150 and you're still hungry. That's you're right. Done. I was going to say earlier, you know, the French are not known for necessarily, uh, you know, filling you all the way up. Um, <laughs> right, right. Well, at least uh, at least this particular uh, restaurant didn't do it. <laughs> right, right. Um no, that's really good. So you uh, you mentioned your uh, friendship with Aaron Wren. Um, right. Can you talk about what insights that he has with the masculinist um, that you've appreciated most, and even relation in relation to your own project? Yeah, as you know, our, we're kind of focused on different things, but they're related. And uh, I think the thing that has been most helpful for me as I've read Aaron is just basically his, I guess, Yes, you could call it his BS detector. <laughs> <laughs> and so much of the stuff that's being promoted by, you know, mega church pastor types is just nonsense. It doesn't work. You know, I just had a conversation with a young man yesterday. We were talking about, so, so Aaron, you know, a lot of the things he's, he, he criticizes, ha, ha, a lot of the things that he says has to have to do with, uh, you know, finding a, a, a mate or being attractive to the opposite sex. And of course, he's addressing men and talking to them about what women actually do find attractive as opposed to what megachurch pastors say so they for, find attractive. For example, you know, godliness is sexy. Right, right. It may or not be so the case. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, right. servant leadership or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, and then he says, you know, hey, here are the facts, you know. Uh, you know, this is what actually is the case. Right. <laughs> so, so I was talking to a young man yesterday, and I was talking about this very subject. And I and I and I said, you know, what I said to him. This is, and this guy is in his twenties, his later twenties. I said to him, what's your, what's your, you know, approach, or what do you think 
I think I put it this way. What do you think women find attractive in men? Something like that. And, and he, he was, uh, he didn't have an answer. So it was just, did he have answers that just were wrong or he just, he actually just did not know? Well, he kind of blanked out. And okay. so I suggested something to him. I said, how about not being nice? And he was sort of like, yeah, they like nice. No, I said, no. No, that's not, that's not, you so see, your sister wants you to be nice. Your mother wants you to be nice. Your grandmother wants you to be nice. Your Sunday school teacher wants you to be nice. Your, your elementary school teacher wants you to be nice. Right. You know, your, your employer at Kentucky Fried Chicken wants you to be nice. But a woman is not looking for you to be nice. Basically, if you're, if you're nice, she puts you in the same category as her brother. Who she wants her, to be nice. Right. That's her right. Kentucky Fried Chicken register guy. <laughs> right. Right. But what is she looking for? And he was completely, he was completely, uh, you know, sort of, he blanked. And I said, let me give you some suggestions. Uh, one is, is she'd like a man with a plan. She'd like a guy that's competent. She'd like a guy who's confident. She'd like a guy who's decisive. And you can be all those things without being rude or crude or pushy, right. you know. But what, what all those things communicate uh, is uh, that you're going somewhere. and you know, basically, when anyone is going someplace, let me turn this off. You're good. Got a phone call. <laughs> You're a busy guy. We appreciate you taking time. Well, I think this is a political uh, thing. The <laughs> 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 robo, robo call. Okay. But uh, so basically, I said, you know, anytime there's movement, you know, people's eyes are drawn to the movement, and so. Uh, what you indicate when you're moving is that you're purposeful, and and then people are are presented with the question you know, in their own minds that they ask themselves, do I want to go where that guy's going? Right. Do I want to go along? And when a girl uh, or a young woman sees movement like that, she's going to make some, she's going to assess, you know, can he actually do what he, what he says he hopes to do? Is he going someplace I want to be? Would I like to be there with him? Would I like to help? All these things occur, you know, maybe without uh, being explicit or, or, you know, conscious, but they, they occur. And those things uh, can make you very attractive to a young woman. And 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 you're saying that can be true and not in a carnal, right. uh, worldly way. Because I imagine that would be the argument in terms of, you know, but we're Christians. These are actually right. the things that you ought to cherish as virtues and see as attractive. Um, but uh, it seems to be the case that Aaron says it's not actually that way. Yeah, and it, all you need to do is scratch the surface a little bit to to, to see the hypocrisy of that spiritualized way of thinking. Um, for example, uh, who would you like to be your brain surgeon? The guy who's competent or the guy who's nice? Right, right. <laughs> that 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 sort of stuff. That sweetheart that feels super bad about. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. Just, Great bedside manner. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Doesn't know anything. <laughs> he had us rolling, you know, super right. funny guy. Um, right. Yeah, it is, it is, uh, it, it is interesting how that's been able to, uh, that's been able to seep in in such a way that, uh, again, his project similarly is one of those where uh, I just had this conversation the other day uh, with someone where I thought, you know, I read all of the books. Uh, I think there was a particular masculinist that you're talking about that he mentioned, you know, Keller's marriage book, uh, Chandler's dating book, all all of these things. And, you know, I left all of them thinking like, yeah, it's good stuff. And here we go. And, uh, you know, just an indictment on my reading habits. But (laughs) um, 
so to 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 pull back in, you we we kind of laid the land in terms of uh, here's basically the disintegration of the family in terms of uh, all of the functions still being there and all of them being exported. And you're drawing attention to this issue. And uh, when somebody looks at the title of your book, they may think uh, hey, Chris might be being a little bit dramatic here. Maybe <laughs> um, war for the cosmos. So right, the right. household and the war for the cosmos. And can you follow that up a little bit? How how would you see uh, where we are today? Is that war not only just with uh, maybe just the family codes as they were in the New Testament, but you go further than that? Yeah. Well, the way uh, I ended Man of the House is I got to, you know, when I, when I got to the end, I thought what I've, what I've written here is a handbook for a guy who, uh, you know, wants to establish a house and needs to find a woman who wants to do it with him. And, and I've laid out some steps and some ways to, to, to go about it. But then I thought, you know, one of the bigger problems that we face is that people don't know how this fits into a bigger picture. And as I thought more and more about that, I, re I realized that uh, I needed to help people see that there are points of reference that are, are really significant uh, that justify recovering the, the household in spite of the difficulties that we're going to face doing so. Because if, if, it, if it's just... Uh, you know, about, uh, you know, your personal goals and your desire to maybe live a little more independently and, and not have to, you know, be an employee of somebody else. And you, and you come, you, you, you hit, you know, some very challenging, uh, things that, uh, that are in the way that you have to somehow get over or around or through in order to establish a household. You need something more than just uh, your personal agenda. You need to have something that can call for the kind of sacrifice that I think may be required in some cases. And so the only way that can occur is if you have some sort of lofty and noble point of reference that, that you see, okay, this is serving this much larger purpose. This is not just about me and my, my, my little circle. This is about... The cosmos. This is this is the is, you know the ultimate picture, right? This is something beyond yeah. a preference. Yes, that's it. That's it. We're not just talking about a lifestyle choice here. Right. We're talking about something that the household reflects the the the, uh, the kingdom of God, and it's not a uh, negotiable. Um, uh, the way we see the household. Uh, described in the Bible gives us a sense that that it's absolutely a, a foundational to our understanding of the new heavens and the new earth. Hmm. I'll give you an example. You know, you got, you got the whole matter of uh, the groom and, you know, the, uh, the bridegroom and the bride, you know, Christ and the church. You've got, you know, the matter of the father and the son and the inheritance and inheritance all things, the air of all things with Christ. All of this language is drawn from the, the traditional productive household. Mm -hmm. So either we built the religion uh, that has now been made obsolete because of the advances in the economy or whatever, right. or we're, we have abandoned reality 
and we need to get back to reality. And so I'm of the conviction that the second is true and the first is a lie. Good. Excellent. Yeah. And you said you mentioned uh, that cosmic reality is actually what's going to be the foundation for which when hard things happen, you mentioned that this is going to be a difficult task given the market reality. Um, but this is actually the bedrock which gets you through to those to that thing. Right. And if it weren't yeah. there, it's something that you would just crumble upon. Yeah, and, and one of the things I see, for example, I was at, I was in Jersey City a couple weeks back, two or three weeks back, at a friend's church. I, I, I preached for him uh, on a Sunday morning following a retreat that I had actually been, uh, uh, you know, I, that I was actually speaking at on these very themes. And so this is a, you know, Jersey City is on the other side of the Hudson from Manhattan. It's as dense as you know any borough in New York City, but it's but it's not. It doesn't have the the cool factor. Okay, <laughs> it's just a very you know dense uh, urban environment, and uh, you got people from all over the world living in this area in this in this community, this town. And so we we were in this uh, uh, this church. I was in this church, my friend Sam Perez's church, just marvelous church with people from all over the world. And I discovered that like uh, like almost all the adult men, heads of home, had read my book, oh, Man wow. of the House. Okay. And uh, and one after church, uh, Sam said to me, "Hey, come over here, Chris. I want to introduce you to a guy who's like the embodiment of Man of the House." And this is a guy who had come to the United States from Mexico, and had spoke and knew no English when he arrived, and today owns his own company has you know a uh, bunch of kids owns a second house in Florida and and he made he's made it in tile uh, wow. he's a tile installer he's a subcontractor tile installer and and as we were talking I was like man you are you are exactly what I'm talking about so so if a, if a Mexican guy who can't speak any English can come over here and do it it can be done right you know what's your excuse punk from suburbia <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's right. I said, I said to Sam, I got to use this guy all the time. I can use him as my illustration to shame all these kids with their degrees and so forth. And they whine and nonsense. You know, I was like, no, no, it can be done. Awesome. That's beautiful. Um, so there's, there's a quote that uh, in Man of the House, and it's probably my favorite part. Um, I believe it's Robert Heinlein. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Right, yeah, the science fiction author, right? Yes, and he says, a human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, and die gallantly. Specialization is for the insects. Yeah, I'm, amen. Phenomenal <laughs> quote. Phenomenal <laughs> quote. And uh, as far as when you, you mentioned this guy that you met that's killing the game with the tile, um, what is it that we are averse not only to that level of, uh, you know, renaissance man ish um what 
are you optimistic that you'll see more men this way or or would you say you'd be pessimistic and then what are the factors that that kind of squash that out well i i get a lot of positive uh signals and from lots of different directions so i'm pretty upbeat um i think that what man of the house and the war for the cosmos are, are addressing are universal themes that that really, I think, appeal to many guys. Not all, not all guys, but to many guys. And um, the people who are responding are coming from all directions. I mean, you've got guys who are kind of blue-collar, guys who are white-collar, artist types. You know, uh, you've got people from other countries. So there's there's a wide range of, uh, of guys out there. And uh, I've, uh, I've been encouraged to see how guys uh, from particular walks of life are beginning to experiment with things that they might not have ever taken up. So that very example, I've got a, a young man in my church. He's got a lovely wife and two sons, and he work, he's an executive uh, uh, here in the Hartford area at, at, a, at a large insurance company that you would recognize. Uh, but he's just begun to, he's, he's taken up woodworking. Okay. He's, he's read the books and he's read the book, uh, first book, Man in the House. And, uh, He's taken up woodworking and he's working with his sons uh, and they're beginning to build things together. So to me, that's a marvelous sign. And I have I've got really you know, positive, uh, you know, I, I, I th- a positive re- regard for him and I, his future. He's a very bright guy and he's going to do really well. But you see him beginning to sort of push into to things that he maybe were uh, things he would never consider trying. And I'm encouraged by that. Can you talk about. Uh, beyond that, just being, you know, if somebody would hear that who, you know, might still not know they're in water, but just hear that and think, you know, that's nice, I guess. Uh, why would it be important for me to know that level of diversity of, of operation? Well, I think that you want to be, you do, you do need to specialize in, in, in one or two things because those would be the ways that you can connect other people in a larger, you know, economic uh, in the larger economy, but I think it's important to be uh, functionally competent in a wide range of things for different reasons. So, when you're functionally competent, then uh, you're able to uh, engage with a wider range of people. You know, I think that's important. Um, it went, for example, if you're if you're the sort of person who's an academic, and you decide, you know what, I need to, to do something with my hands. Well, you, you'll find yourself uh, getting into some things that, that make it possible for you to relate to people who work with their hands all the time. You'll discover in the process that you, 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 you respect them because you discover how difficult those things are to do, for one thing. And then, and then as you grow in your own uh, competence in one particular thing, you, you find it easier to move into another thing. So it's like learning languages. Or so I've been told. <laughs> it's like like once you've got your third language down, it's you know the fourth language is like nothing. It's a breeze. It, it, that's right. I it's hear it's a like breeze. <laughs> it's kind of like that when you when you when you pick up new uh, skills. Right. You don't have to be the greatest. You just need to be uh, generally competent. So I I can wire a room. I can plumb a bathroom. I can frame a house. I can do all these different things. But I'm not like the greatest or the fastest in any of those things, but sure. I'm, I'm able to do them. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm able to work in my car. You know, I'm able to work in my engines. You know, I can do these different things. Um, but that 
being able to do those things uh, occurred because of a series of decisions that I made and opportunities that I had. And I, and I feel like I have a much richer, uh, you know, sort of appreciation for the, for the, 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 you know, the range of people that you encounter in daily, on a daily basis, you know, because I've got a background in the arts, you know, I, I've got an ability to connect with people who are artistic, uh, who are artists, who are writers, but then I've also got an ability to connect with people who have calluses on their hands. Mm. So, you know, that's great. But, but there's also just in the course of daily life, a sense of agency that you, you develop and it, and it carries, you know, you through, uh, into new situations. So, so because you have, I have agency in a, in a range of areas, I feel confident and can comp and, and, and behave in a competent manner in, in different settings. And so that's also really helpful. So, you know, I could, I could go on, but I think. No, sure. Uh, one thing, better. um, uh, I was talking to, we have an in-house illustrator for Dickinson that I know you met. Yeah. And uh, he mentioned something the other day that I thought was, that was more insightful than I'm used to from him. Um, <laughs> uh, we were talking about, um, so he's, he's working on Hello Ninja with uh, Netflix and he was talking about animation and uh, a new animation trailer had come out for a movie. And he was telling me this is bad animation. And I was talking to him about it, and I just said, you know, when you say that's bad animation, what do you mean? And he just said, it's just not like real life. God's physics doesn't work that way. Um, right. And anyway, it, it, it at least signaled to me, as far as you're getting to know more of the world that God made, you're learning more of those, um, the terrain that he made and the rivets that God uses. And it, it does seem that not only you were mentioning just transferable competence, you know, of discipline and competence in this area that might translate into this area and lending itself to agency, but also, uh, and I think this is really true of your work in which I'm, I'm so excited to publish your book and even just enjoying, like I mentioned earlier, your Facebook. And, and I think you really do represent that transferable agency and competency. And most of all, what I've appreciated is, um, your eyesight, all that to say in the last few years, I've, I've been unlearning this and, uh, your books have, uh, have aided in that and letting me know right. that you know, which waters I swim in. But as we wrap up here, except speaking of Forrest, you, yeah. uh, you got to hang out with Forrest and uh, play on his Cintiq a little bit. Yeah, now I'm debt in debt for $1,000. And, <laughs> <laughs> and now I see that you've got your own Cintiq over there. Right, right. You enjoying yeah, it? I mean, yeah, I am. It's, it's, uh, speaking of agency, it's one of those things where, you know, it's a very... Uh, powerful and and uh complicated and subtle machine that i'm working with in case people are wondering what a cintiq pro is it's a it's a it's a high-end uh tablet writing tablet that's used by illustrators and animators and folks like that so it's got tremendous uh you know it's got a tremendous range of things that you can do and i'm just just beginning to scratch the surface of uh with it so i'm learning i'm just kind of learning the basics at this point Love it. I'm well, working on it every day or close close to every day and trying to to learn, you know, how to do the things I want to do. Certainly. Well, please keep posting what you got. And uh, like I said, uh, C.R. Wiley, he's coming out with The Household and The War for the Cosmos. Uh, and then once we give you some relief on that, you're picking up the pen to get back to the second book of your trilogy. 
Right, right. Yep, looking forward to that. And then possibly a kid's book. Yeah, the fact that's what I bought the the Cintiq Pro for is to to work on the illustrations. Uh, got a background in in uh, in the uh, the arts and in illustration, and uh, and so this particular tool just when Forrest showed it to me, I said, I you know, okay, that's it. You know, I've, I've I knew about them, <laughs> yeah, and I, but but after I got a chance, like for, after two minutes, I said, I got to get one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it did. Well, good. Every, uh, is there anywhere, where, where can we send people to to keep up with you? Well, I mean, of course, there's uh, my author page, crwiley.com. Not on Twitter anymore? No, no, I don't do the Twitter thing. Uh, I was pilloried a few times and I just, you know, I was being awakened in the middle of the night by people attacking me on Twitter. I was like, no I, I don't need this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, you I don't, don't need the Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So your author page on Facebook. You have a website, and pretty soon, Household in the War for the Cosmos, live at Canon Press. That's great. Looking forward to that. Appreciate you, Chris. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Jake. I enjoyed being here. If you'd like to get Chris's book, The Household and the War for the Cosmos, visit us at canonpress.com.